Hey, welcome back to another Impact Tonight of the Impact Education Leadership. This is episode 134. I'm your host, ID3 Friday, drawing the third place. We love Ms. Gina Taylor, Richard Bullard, Larry Davis, and Kendrick Bullard. The lovely Ms. Gina Taylor, please say hello to the people. Hello, everyone. How are you doing today? Wonderful. And Kendrick Bullard, please say hello to the people. It's always a pleasure to be able to serve in highest blessing. Wonderful, wonderful. And Richard Bullard, please say hello to the people. I'm glad to be here. Glad you invited me and I'm looking forward to it. Right on. And the doctor, Dr. Larry Davis, please say hello again, sir, to the people. Hello. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to this evening. Absolutely, absolutely. We are looking forward to it as well. I think it's going to be compelling tonight. With that being said, tonight's topic is achieving racial equity through school communities. Psychologically engaged learners are internally motivated, are intrinsically motivated by curiosity, interest, and enjoyment and are likely to want to achieve their own intellectual or personal goals when they see discipline. When they see people demonstrating concentration and investment in them, this enthusiasm and this effort goes so long. Problem solving is an instructional technique that promotes intellectual involvement and active engagement. Studies show that closing racial gaps in wages, housing credit, lending opportunities, and the access to higher education would amount to an additional $5 trillion in our GDP. And the American economy over the next five years is what researchers are saying would have to happen. Teaching is all about listening. Teaching is all about reading. Teaching is all about speaking eloquently and presenting and writing in a way that is crystal clear to the audience. Teachers who hone their communication skills are prepared to instruct, advise, and mentor students entrusted in their care. One of the byproducts of racial equity in school communities, the fact that we don't create enough opportunities for improvement for the historically underserved communities, which would, in the end, benefit us all. First, I want to go to uh, our panelist, Dr. Larry Davis. You know, uh, Mr. Davis, please tell us a little bit about what you're doing currently and why this topic means so much for you tonight. Well, thank you for that. Um, Karen, uh, I'm Turn around with uh, two of my books, working with our 4D students to find difficult, disrespectful, and disruptive, and the other book, Spiritually Hacked. Uh, you know, again, it's, it's difficult being uh, having spiritual leadership qualities in a secular society, so that's kind of my, my thing right now. And I love what you talked about. When you, you talked about the 
underserved areas, the low-income areas, the impoverished areas, and and the lack of equality in those areas. And I, we're going to continue to have these problems, Mr. Drone, because here's the thing. There's money to be made as long as there's a need. Eliminate the need, you eliminate the funding. So as long as you have these needs, and I, I did a, a presentation with a, with a school district a few years back. It would be, it, to close the achievement gap effectively in America, it would cost us six, an additional $60 billion a year. The problem is, if we gave all the school district an equal portion of this $60 billion, there is no way of saying that all this money went to the low-income areas or impoverished areas or low socioeconomic areas. It would probably be distributed equally throughout the school district with just, with just only perpetuate the, the achievement gap that we have in our country. So you're, you're talking up my alley, loving our children and creating a school system where they feel loved. I have a podcast and the, the young man who did my theme song, he goes, have our kids connected to a school that don't really love them, right? And I think that's the problem. When we look at our schools, some of our children, they don't see that love from the school towards them that they want to have in their education. If we can create that system where the school loves our children the way they deserve to be loved, regardless of where they come from, our children would be so connected to those schools. Oh, that's so good. You know, love is a language. It is a language. And that's why we had to bring back uh, the lovely Miss Nina Taylor to the, to the podcast, uh, to the talk show. Because for me, uh, Miss Nina Taylor is an oasis. She's an oasis. Uh, not just for her, her students or for her kids, but, you know, for everyone that, that comes in contact with her. Uh, she is like a content hub, uh, so to speak. And, and we just want to mirror her tonight. And give her honor. With that being said, the lovely Miss Nina Taylor, what you got going on currently? Because you over here winning all these awards. Every time I look on social media, you you, you got <laughs> presented a new award. What you got going on, Miss Lady? Well, with the with the radio, everything is just so blessed. Just two weeks ago, um, my show began in South Africa. I got an email out of nowhere from a radio station in Johannesburg. Of course, I checked it out to see. I said, is this a joke? You know, saying that they wanted to start running my news and also my uh, show on their 14 stations that serve the Christian community of South Africa. And I was just totally blown away. So, uh, you know, God has continued to bless my show and and my new segment, and we just, you know, we just want to serve. We're looking forward to to going in some other new areas um, uh, where we can continue to spread the gospel. And now I've gone to television since the last time we spoke. I just uh, completed the first show last night. Um, I decided to keep it in what I do and what I am. I'm calling it Gospel Express TV, and I'm just talking to people in ministry and gospel artists and just doing what we do. So just looking forward to the next Step. I'm still teaching every day. I teach kindergarten. Um, I got some new kids uh, from Somalia just uh, about two months ago. And so in addition to teaching them the correct way to speak English, I'm also trying to teach them how to read and to write and to, uh, you know, just get along in the public school system. And he's absolutely right. Um, a lot of kids, they don't feel love at home. They bring that hostility to school. And it's up to us to say, listen, you know, 
whatever's going on at home, you know, I can't do anything about it. All the thing I can do is show you who I am and love you here and do what I do, which is try to teach you. So you're absolutely right about that. Um, and I believe, I sincerely believe that nobody has to be a teacher. I believe that if a person spent four years, eight years becoming a teacher, wanting to be an educator, they're not doing it because they hate kids. They're certainly not doing it because they don't like anybody. If you come to the public school system, you know you're going to be dealing with a multitude of minorities. Um, they know that. You know, I sincerely do not believe that anyone's doing this because they hate kids or because they don't have a heart for them. I believe that they could be doing, especially the ones that I know, they could be doing a million other things. I have teachers under my roof with doctorates who are teaching third grade. You know, They could be doing other things, but this is what they have a heart for. This is what they chose. And he's absolutely right about what he's saying. If they're feeling unloved at home, their hostility carries on, they bring it to school. And, you know, sometimes people just kind of give up. You know, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, I've spent the first six months of school trying to love on him. He won't let me. I'm done. You know, so you're absolutely right about what you said, sir. Hey, you know, I, I, I agree with that. Yes, yeah, because I'm about to ask you a question, too. Dr. Dave, well, I'm about just to ask you a question. Come on. I have, there's this, uh, this little post that says, the child who needs love the most will ask for it in the most unloving way. That's right. Okay, now, now I'm going to have to throw a curveball because <laughs> I was going to go somewhere else. But since you guys insist on, on talking about love, let's, look, we're going to go love. We're going to go love. I, I feel love is a language. Right, mm -hmm. and I also feel love is a body, okay, and so just like love is a language, we also have body language, and in the body we have different systems, right, and each system has basic practices, meaning they have procedures that you have to uh, do this regimen for your body to be healthy. Right? And so you have to give your body those clear expectations of what to eat, what not to eat, what to do, what not to do. And if, and if you are following these procedures, your body will transform through stages of development, right? And so when you talk about love, I, I believe that love has to have clear expectations so that it's healthy. I believe that love has to be not only productive, right, but it has to be spiritual in order for it to be intellectual so that you are learning from this person, this person is learning from you, and so you're bouncing ideas, you know, from one person to the next person, and then this becomes a type of faith, you know, that you hear. And so I think we need to hear the panelists tonight so that we can come up with some answers uh, for problem solving, you know, what techniques we're going to have to start using moving forward as we pivot into this, this digital this digital age. Uh, some people have not totally surrendered to it. Uh, but we're going to talk about that later. But let me ask a question to Dr. Larry Davis. My question for you, sir, uh, again, I just want to thank you so much. And we are so honored to have you uh, back on the podcast. And we, we need you here because we're really looking for someone that has a high touch uh, for education. And uh, with that being said, how uh, should we or how will you, how would you uh, ensure that teachers uh, or educators 
can successfully carry out the objectives that we're that we've talked about a little bit tonight um, in in both planning and in both practicalities and, and doing this giving um, equity you know evenly across the board now uh, and and positive or uh, non-effective settings and, and highly effective learning settings what are some of the steps uh, can we walk with you tonight uh, we will listen right but we want to see it through the experience of your eyes or the, the experience of your lens would you care to share your thoughts sir sure I will tell you uh, <clears throat> about 10 years ago there was a book came out uh, the term around principle by Rosemary Popo and she talked about they took the they took 250 schools uh, 125 low performing 125 high performing they took the curriculum from the high performing schools and put it in the low performing schools and at the end of the year guess what the results were the exact same the difference was when they looked at it was the culture mm. of those schools right the culture of those schools the environment that we put those kids in it was the beliefs of those teachers that all students could learn, right? It was uh, the relationships they had with those kids. There the, there's another correlation, I know uh, Mr. Bullis on the line, that shows that you find a, a school that has winning sports programs, they also have high academics, because there's a direct correlation of relationships. The attitude on the campus is esprit de corps, their school spirit, right? In the culture that we put those kids in, they're gonna be successful. And that environment that they expect is there. So I think if we can just bring teachers into our building, but we bring them into an environment where the culture is that we love kids, right? We have to stop looking, you know, what we do is we'll bring the brand new teacher in and we'll give that teacher the classroom right next to the most negative, outspoken teacher on campus. And, and that, that's the seed that we plant in that new teacher. Instead of putting that teacher next to a teacher who loves children, who fosters learning, who believes, who's student-centered, who does all these things to help grow students, who help grow scholars, and then that becomes what we that what we water, what we fertilize, and what we grow. So that's what we have to do. We have to make sure that, you know what she said it earlier. We I don't think there's a teacher out there who doesn't like kids, but I do believe there's teachers out there who don't love kids. <laughs> and so when I hire, and I told you this once before, I hire teachers based on purpose, relationships, and then pedagogy. If you don't love kids, I can't teach you that. If you don't have a purpose for teaching, I can't teach you that. I can teach you pedagogy. But I can't give you a purpose, and I can't teach you to love children. And that's what our teaching is about, purpose and relationships. That was so solid and so rich. Who wants to uh, comment on that? Because that was so concentrated. <laughs> well, I do, want to I do want to flip something just really quickly on the definition of, of love. <laughs> love is what we are. It's not a, a goal. It's what we are right now, it's what we've always been, and it's what we always will be. There's this point where major shift and change and people who don't understand how to be able to manifest love in their life, but by the inner work, it's probably more important or just as important as, as defining what love is. And, you know, because once you start living in this moment, the money side of it falls away. The wealth, the wealth is a tool, but the money side comes from our love of ourselves first. And then the, then the love 
of the kids and God. And I mean, it can all come at the same time. For me, it's about being able to, to universally task, universally multitask. Is that a word? Probably. That's not a word yet. But it's about being able to to understand universal and multitask on the level of love that we give. It shouldn't be a goal because we're already there at the love peace. That's just kind of how I look at it. And then, but lastly, being able to understand that the love is not just an action. It's a portfolio of things that, that, that we can learn from each other. But I would you like say a, a book? Go ahead. Well, I would say love is not a noun. It is an action. It's in everything that we do that shows that a God they love, right? We wake up with love the noun and it's just supposed to happen. But when we wake up with love the verb, we make it happen. We go out of our way when this person who broke our heart, who's our sister, our brother, our husband, our wife, who hurt us yesterday, we get up the next morning and that agape love, that love the verb, says, I'm going to do acts of love to show this person that I still love them regardless of what happened yesterday. I'm going to show this child that I love them even though they had to be removed from our room yesterday. So it, that verb part of love is the stronger part of love than the noun part of love when you're talking about demonstrations of love, right? And you're talking about that love language, the noun or the verb. What we say is important, but what we do is what they see. I'm just glad we're all talking about the same thing, love. So, so, so love that has a liberty then. There, there's a freedom. Go ahead. I was just going to say that love is a choice. And if it's real, it comes easy for you. Just like some people get up every day, drive. Uh, uh, there's teachers in my building that drive over an hour one way to work every day. Yes, we have some very difficult days. Our school is a special needs school. There's a lot of very, very difficult children there. Some days you don't know what's going to happen. You know, uh, one of the schools had a stabbing today. I mean, that's just how unpredictable it is. But I believe that deep down, everyone's doing it because they have a love for it and they have a love for kids. Even if they don't all show it. Me, I'm the nurturing type. I'm like, I have at least half a dozen kids in the school that call me mommy. Mommy, I wish she was my mom. You know, I've done, I don't know what I've done, you know, other than just be nice to them. But it's just different. Some people, they love them, but they would never hug them. They would never touch them. You know, it's like I'm loving on you in my way. And so I think that it's a choice for all of us. Let me say something because, oh, this is going, you know, we, it's free. I wasn't, this is not on the skill. I wasn't planning for this tonight, and I want to kind of plug back a little bit. Uh, but, you know, I think everyone on here is a parent. And, and for me, because uh, we're going to talk about parents in a little bit, but for me, I, I think love is long-suffering. Long-suffering meaning patient. And, you know, you want to be kind in the long-suffering and in the patience, but it's, it's so tedious. It's so tedious being kind while you're being patient and, and long-suffering and, and, and staying uh, with a, a quiet calmness you know, about yourself, right? And I think this only happens when you get to joy, right? Because I think, I think love 
has many names, right? It's an action. I, I can agree with that. Uh, because as you you move from one level of love to the next level of love or, or one depth of love to the next depth of love, it, it takes you through a, it takes you through cycles. It, it takes you through seasons, right? And and so parents uh, the way that we're communicating, our communication skills are so vital. Um, not only parents, but teachers, uh, your communication skills are so vital uh, as it relates to preparing uh, students to be the next leaders, as it relates to instructing them uh, in that, that content or those different concepts that they have to learn. Even mentors, though your communication skills and Embodying that love is so crucial. Let me go to KB, Kenny Bullard. What you got going on currently uh, before I ask this question, sir? I'm always doing things on the IT side and showing people how to, how to build the wealth through getting rid of the, the dollar systems and being able to show them how to be able to form, how to say I love you. Absolutely. What can you offer parents right now in this discussion, you know, as it relates to ways that they can uh, protect themselves and their students uh, to ensure, you know, staying positive, especially during COVID-19, especially with what's going on in the world today, with so much negativity everywhere you look, social media, <laughs> different workplaces, uh, just bi-directionally, right? And so maintaining that the best, that best you, that best self, that best image, how did you do it with your kids, with your two boys? Can you offer from your experience, um, you know, what that looks like? Uh, so can we walk with you? Will you let us in on, on, on the long suffering, on the long suffering? Because, you know, it's challenging. And like I said, I believe it's tedious to get to that, that joy and that peace level. But go ahead. Oh, wait. The principles that you think are right or wrong and understand that, menta that, that meditating is probably the best thing that we can do right now. And all about all that is is being able to ask one question to God and let him answer that question in a whole and he'll give you a whole lot more. But the other piece when it comes to technology is I I I had to filter out a whole bunch of the uh the negative in order to ensure that my son my sons understood that the positives were available. And again, I I had to deal with a lot of noise over the time to include playing sports. I didn't want my kids to play professional football or other stuff because I didn't want them to know what competition was about. But I wanted them to understand how to compete with their self. That was so good. I want to open up the panel and talk about that. Who wants to talk about, you know, what are some ways that we can... Okay, you got it. <laughs> Do you, do you all remember, I hope you all saw the movie, The Five Heartbeats. Do you remember the scene when Eddie King had come back from singing and his mother said, how did it go? And he said, oh, you know, it went great. And, you know, he was all dressed up and everything. And his dad looked at him and said, you ain't going to be nothing. 
because I ain't nothing. And that is truly what he believed. I think just like what I tried to do was to lead by example. I had, and you know, you know the story, Isaiah, uh, I had left school going into my senior year because I had gotten hired at a radio station. But one day I was like, you know what, I gotta finish. <laughs> you know, I gotta go back. And that was that happened to be when my son was young. You know, he was really young. And he was like, why are you going to school and you're grown? And, you know, I had just go ahead and explain that to him. So he actually saw me studying and he'd be with his little book studying with me. I think he was in my the first or second grade, you know, when I had went back. And, you know, we were kind of doing it together and just communicating with their teachers and stuff. That, that helps a lot, too. We don't know what's going on. You know, I'm at a special needs school where a lot of the kids are living in shelters. You know, I need to know that. You know, that child has different needs than, you know, someone who's going home every day to their mom and dad. It's different, you know. So by communicating with us, let us know what's going on at home. Let us know what's going on to them. That way we know what the individual needs are of each kid. You know, a lot of my kids' parents are completely illiterate. When we went to homeschooling and they couldn't, um, you know, come into the building and we had to do everything virtual, it took us some of them weeks to get on the, just to log on to the computer because they didn't know how to do it. They don't have computers at home. They had no idea. There was nobody there who could help them. It was a mess. You know, we had no idea that, you know, <laughs> I didn't have this, you know, any kind of idea that there was actually households that nobody had a computer. You know, nobody knew this, nobody knew that. It, it, was, it was just so crazy. You know, and then also during COVID, the, uh, some of the companies, they offered free internet for everybody. Nobody had to pay for internet. Nobody had to pay for internet. But they got the computers from the schools. So everybody had what they needed except for help. And that is why 75% of the students failed. It was a complete failure, you know. Only thing we could do was just try to give our best. But they had no help at home. You know, so the, the best thing we can do is to keep that line of communication open with the parents so that we know what's going on and we know how to, to you know, to fulfill those individual needs of each and every student. So here's the problem. The problem is this, this, this word that doesn't exist in, in real education, standardized testing. There's no such thing as standardized testing because our kids are not standardized. And our kids are not getting the exact same information every child is getting across the world at the same time, at the same rate, in the same capacity. So if we want to celebrate the child and their individual talents and learning ability, we need to let all our students and scholars know there's more than one way to get an A. There's more than one way to get a B. It doesn't have to be a standardized test, a six-week assessment. What about a project? What about a combined project? What about a linked learning project? What project-based learning? What about, you know, a demonstration of knowledge through uh, verbal testing, right? Uh, vocal testing. We have to learn, we have to do more things to reach our children. And you think about it, I wrote, I wrote a paper years and years ago, and there is no difference between a kid who makes a 65 and a kid who makes a 75, except for the question you ask on that assignment, on that assessment. That learning is the same for a kid who makes a 65 and a 75. So think about that. If we could teach them more, if we offer more ways for students to be successful in our schools, more ways to demonstrate mastery of an objective, that would help us bring out that individual talent in all our children.
That was hot. That was hot. Who wants to talk about the language barriers that we are battling with as well, with those parents that, that they're there for their children. They, they show up to the meetings, right? But are they speaking the language? Can they speak the language? Do they understand what they need to understand so we can communicate to them efficiently and effectively so they can be both tacti tactically and technically proficient? Who wants to talk about that? Well, I'm dealing with that every day. Um, like I said, I have some Somali kids who barely speak English, but with our uh, particular programming, we can say, okay, this lesson needs to be in Somali or whatever language they speak, Spanish, German, you know, Japanese, whatever it is, we can, you know, can convert it into that language. Although we're teaching them English, but in the meantime, they don't speak it well enough to understand. So we can, with our programs, convert into every language. So that's one thing. And then we also have interpreters. We have a whole department of interpreters. If I know that I'm going to be calling a house, like during the conferences, we had to call a number of households with Spanish-speaking people who did not speak English at all. So I have to to arrange for an interpreter to speak for me to that person. So we have the resources to uh, communicate with them no matter what the language is. Well, I'll say excellent to that. Let me bring in our, our next panelist, Richard Bullard. Sir, please tell us, thank you for coming onto the podcast. And please tell us a little bit about what you got going on here, sir. Well, I have been through most of the things that have been discussed. I was one of those um, underachieving students when I was a kid. But when I found my purpose, began to develop myself, that's when my grades increased, my ability, my confidence. Um, I had to learn how to read. Because the school I went to had me reading at a sixth grade level. And when I went to college, I had to uh, take a reading course to learn how to read so I can uh, go get my master's. But anyway, when I found my purpose, I found my purpose of life, I found my strength to go on and to believe and to have confidence. Uh, one thing I discovered was that there was so many more kids like me who walked into a, who grew up in an environment in the world ruled by white supremacy or racism. And I found this book called um, The Miseducation of the Negro. And this comment, this quote from the book stood out to me. The problem of holding the Negro down is easily solved. When you control a man's thinking, you don't have to worry about his actions. You don't have to tell him to sit, to stand here or to go yonder. He will find his proper place and will stay in it. You don't, you, you do not need to send him to the back door. He will, he will go without being told. In fact, if there is no back door, he will cut one for, for all 
the white supremacy that even what you think can is good can be bad. Dr. Wade Nobles taught me that. So I say there are so many conditions that many of our young people have to go through before they get to the school system. Um, to one the conjugal uh, wrote, wrote a masterpiece, uh, three parts, the conspiracy to destroy black boys. And um, that's that I feel, that's why I did my church, to help many of our kids, especially boys, who have been programmed into the special education and it's actually a death sentence for the education because it, it keeps them placed in an environment where there are low expectations. And uh, somebody said that a teacher must have high expectations. And that's so true. The ones that can do for what about that. High, high, high expectations create possibilities in a teacher to believe in the child. And so many times, teachers have low expectations uh, of black students. I had that. Malcolm X had that. But when they finally learn to believe, to love, and to do their God-given purpose, it's, a, it's amazing what that, what that kid will become. Wow, you know, so I'm pull from that. Oh, go ahead. So I, so I do from my, from my own experience. When I started my church, I wanted to develop a church when I was pastoring. I wanted to develop a church that was, at the time, Bible-based, cultural, expedient, relevant, um, and... African center because I believe the kids then and today need to know about their African heritage as a means of encouraging them to believe that they can achieve greatness okay I'll stop there wow wow you know before we open the panel back up you know, thank you for that. Yes, with well, Black History, it amazes me that they want to start Black History and Education in the U.S. When you know, you know, our history it, it goes all the way back to the beginning of civilization itself. So it, it mind boggles me. But you know, some things I heard. The main thing I heard from what you said is. Oh, what I want to pull out of it is, is that love, because with love, you can you can apply it. You can you can apply love. It's it's applicable, right? Uh, yes. But sometimes, like but sometimes you need to you, you sometimes you need to understand love so you can describe love and you can recognize it, right? And then you can identify it. But let's let's open up the yes. channel. Let's talk about it. Come on, let's talk about it. All right, so. I got something. I think when it comes to loving our children, we need to recognize trauma so we understand how to love them. 
you know, because sometimes it's the trauma that that child has experienced or the historically cultural trauma that that generation has, has experienced that keeps them from understanding how to even accept love, right? So that's that's my thing. But I'm going to give it back to, you, to the to panel, but I want to share this with you before you go because I know it's going to get close. I want you to let me bring on a young lady to your show. Her name is Geraldine Hollis. She is one of the members of the Tougaloo Nine who worked under wow. Mega Evers, right, to do oh, the yeah, Mississippi Library sit-in. So I, let me know when you can get her on. I want to bring her on, but then I want you to talk with her. Her name is Geraldine Hollis, and they just... Uh, March, they celebrate the 60-year anniversary of the Mississippi uh, Library City-Ins, you know, and that was she and her students from, not eight other students from Tougaloo College in Tougaloo, Mississippi, did that, and they were not even allowed to go back to school because there were death threats on their lives. But I know her, and she'll gladly come on and share some knowledge with you. Yes, sir. Let's do it. We got, I'm going to call you after this. Let's get it set up. But the panel is open because we have time. The panel is open. Who wants to take it? Who wants to take it? Well, I'll give you something on love, right? We talked about the, the love, the noun, love, the verb, and even touched on the agape love. The thing is, I think when, when you're a teacher, you have to have a really short memory. You can't hold against a kid what a kid did to you yesterday. Because That's if they good. knew everything that they need to know today, they would be adults and they wouldn't need us. So that love also has to have a short memory and understand that this child needs me. And I became the, I, I'll tell you what, I became a, the best teacher ever when I realized that my students didn't owe me anything and I owed them everything. Beautiful. That was beautiful. Oh my goodness. Come on. We got time for two more. I'll I say this. You have to learn how to love with more than just your mouth, uh, you know, telling them that you love them, which we do. Um, you have to learn love with your actions and with your words, you know, letting them know that you understand and that you're there for them. So I think that showing them with your actions is, is more important than even telling them that you love them every day. I'll say that people, particularly kids, don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. 